Wonderful. Thank you, Tim. I think I got it all. I wasn't paying attention. I felt like I was getting dressed over here in the corner. Uh, <clears throat> we've been talking about uh, growing in the anointing of the flow of the Spirit. So if you're visiting with us, this is part of a series. You're welcome to listen in, but you missed the first part. I'll try and make it fit, uh, but we'll see. You can tell me afterwards if I do a good job of that. If it makes absolutely no sense, we have coffee and tea. Just help yourself. <laughs> I said to someone as they were coming in this morning, we know the guy who's preaching this morning. Coffee's recommended. <laughs> it was great to have Tyron with us last week. I, I had this sense during the week that the input of Ephesians 4 gifts in the church is kind of like, you know, you're cutting your way through the jungle with a machete. And every once in a while, you've got to climb up a tree and get a picture over the jungle of the uh, horizon that heals or something so you make sure you're still on track. Are we going the right direction? Maybe you need a little bit of a course adjustment or maybe it's just a confirmation. Uh, but you see that. And that's kind of like the, uh, the Ephesians 4 gift that comes in. There's something of saying, okay, let's look at the big picture. Let's see where we're headed. What we do locally is, how do we get there from here? It's not just a matter of where we're headed, how do we get there? And that's the step-by-step. Tyron talked about creating a culture of courage in this day and age. We need to, to be courageous. Uh, but he talked about keeping Jesus central. And he talked about having confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit. All of you remember that, of course, who were here last week. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You wrote that down somewhere and said, okay. <laughs> but the growing in confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit is exactly what we're doing. We're talking about a number of steps in that, a number of, of part of the process of partnering with God, which as saints is our privilege and our responsibility in seeing his kingdom established. It's not about us trying to grow a church. It's about us lifting up Jesus and seeing his kingdom established. So I said a couple weeks ago, partnering with God includes three ingredients. I used ours so you remember. Anyone have a memory of that? Relationship, revelation, and response. What? We have a picture. Oh, look at that. Look at, wow, these guys are, maybe I should just sit down and, no. When these three come together, we see something of the supernatural take place. Okay, I talked a couple weeks ago about relationship with God. See, what happens if we approach the supernatural without these, we end up in, with problems, with trouble. We actually get open to something that isn't God. And so without relationship with him, everything starts there. Jesus died so that we could enter a relationship with God. But it moves from there to partnering with him to see his kingdom advanced. So it begins with relationship. We talked about growing in relationship, growing in intimacy, hearing God's voice, uh, spending time with him, 
All those things help us grow in that relationship. Let me say this. I love this picture because what I want you to understand is that we need all of these working together. The problem is I can't talk about all of them at the same time. And so if it takes a number of weeks, you might not make the connection. We talked about relationship a couple weeks ago. Now I want to talk about revelation today. Revelation. Turn with me in your Bible to uh, John chapter 18. We're going to start there. Verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Luke 10.19 says, he came to seek and save the lost, which is often what we think is the, the whole purpose of Jesus' coming to earth, which it is, but it also says he came to bear witness to the truth. Back over to the beginning of John chapter 1. Talking about Jesus, it says, And the Word became flesh, which is Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. Verse 18. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Or I want you to see that one of the main purposes of Jesus' coming was to reveal God to us. Reveal the heart of the Father. In fact, the, the term Father occurs over 100 times in the book of John. Chapter 8. Still in John. Verse 32 And you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He's talking about the truth of who God is. Not just some philosophical truth. What is truth? That's what the uh, philosophers say. Truth is whatever you want it to be. He said, no, he's talking about the truth of who God is will set us free. Chapter 14 and verse 9 Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Okay, all that is lead up to this. Revelation is the truth about God and how he works. Now that's going to seem really simple. The truth about God is the foundation for faith. What we believe about God is the foundation for faith. If we don't believe that God exists, how can we come near to him? We've got to believe that God is. So the truth about God, if we have been deceived that God doesn't exist, then we have no faith. But the same 
If we believe he speaks, we can hear his voice. If we don't believe God speaks today, then we can't hear what he's saying. We're talking about moving in the supernatural. What is he saying? If I don't believe he speaks, if for some reason I have this image that God is so far removed that he set things in in motion but he doesn't interact with us, then the idea of hearing God, having a relationship with him is foreign. It's kind of like the whole concept of prophecy. We believe God speaks, so we believe that God can speak to us today. And sometimes he does that through someone else. But if you don't believe God speaks today, there's a whole section of the church that limit prophecy to what the Bible says about end times. They don't believe God speaks today. If you say prophecy, they don't think God's speaking to them. They think something about end times. Why is that important? If, if we believe he heals today, we can hear him say he wants to heal. Now, you can't hear God say he wants to touch and heal someone if you don't believe that God heals today. So there's a whole lot of foundational beliefs about God that determine our faith. So back if we, who's got the, can can you go back to the picture that you put together so well? Tim did. If you go back to Revelation, Revelation is the truth about God. It's one of the aspects that determine our faith. So if we don't have the right truth about God, we don't have faith that God wants to do something today. It's vital. Which is why the devil, who is a liar and a deceiver, works so hard to distort distort the truth about God. Why we have been taught so many different things. And also why If we're going to grow in the supernatural, we need to tear down the strongholds of those lies and deception. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sorry, chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural, but mighty in God for tearing down strongholds. What are strongholds? Word actually means fortress. But it actually says casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Strongholds are arguments or reasonings or thoughts or beliefs against the knowledge of God. Strongholds aren't demons. They're lies. About the truth of God. And unfortunately, those lies destroy our faith. If we're going to move in the supernatural, we have to deal with those. One of the reasons why most of the church doesn't move in the supernatural. So what are some of those strongholds? I'm going to be quick this morning, I hope. What are those strongholds or wrong beliefs that need to be torn down? Where God called Jeremiah as a prophet in Jeremiah chapter 1. He says that he's called him to be a voice, but he says to uh, tear down, to pull down, to destroy and uproot that he might plant and build. 
Sometimes we have to tear down the wrong concepts before we can actually believe the right concepts. So what are some of the strongholds or wrong beliefs that we need to pull down? I'm going to give you an overview today, and we're going to get more in-depth over the next few weeks. Johan's going to preach part of this in a couple of weeks. But we're talking about the things that need to be pulled down. The first one is bad theology. What is bad theology? For some reason, we're often taught things that aren't in the Bible, but they stick in our head. I've used the illustration before. Let me tell you again. When I went to kindergarten, I was five. My mom said to me, I won't see you, but God sees you. So you better behave. (laughs) Now, I knew what happened when I didn't behave. When my mom saw me, I got spanked. I was of the generation still believed that swatting kids on the behind was a good deterrent. And so what that said to a five-year-old was if I get out of line, God's going to spank me. I didn't really want God spanking me. Yet sometimes we have this idea. If I do something wrong, something bad's going to happen. And then something bad happens, and we say, it must be, I got a flat tire. I must have done something wrong. Yeah. What did I do that this happened to me? It permeates our whole culture and society. Those of you who are old enough to remember uh, The Sound of Music, one of my wife's favorite movies, there's a point where the young girl falling in love says, somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Nothing comes from nothing. So we have this idea that if something bad happens, it's because I've done something wrong. But it carries through that in order to get something good to happen, I better do something good. I better behave, I better follow all the rules. We become susceptible to religion because we have a bad theology that says, God will reward us if we do all the right stuff, but he will smack us if we do the wrong things. None of you believe that, but I did. But you know, that's not what the Bible says. Some of us have been taught, as I was, that all the miracles that the Bible records that Jesus did cease to happen, and God doesn't do that anymore. That's not what the Bible says. I can tell you, and I will in the uh, theology class on where that came from, but it's not from the Bible. Another bad theology is what I call fatalism. (coughs) Pardon me. (coughs) And it comes with a lot of bad theology, but basically, it's the belief that it's all God. God's going to do whatever he wants to do. And what I do doesn't matter. So we swung the pendulum to this fatalistic thing that whatever happens is God, and therefore, doesn't matter what I do. Well, what happens then is we start accepting everything that happens if it's God. What about when something terrible happens? Oh, that but that's God too. What about something evil happens? When we lived in Westminster and Colorado. Suburb of Denver, we had, uh, unfortunately, a young girl 
kidnapped and killed. She was kidnapped and nobody knew what happened to her and thousands of people walked every open space, every street, every park looking for this girl. Found out a number of weeks later that some guy kidnapped her and killed her and cut her up in pieces and it was just evil. Yet a local pastor with a wrong theology wrote an article that this was the will of God. Everyone knew it was evil. Yeah, what we're basically saying is that God's the author of evil. God did it. Yeah, sometimes we have that kind of fatalism. Whatever happens is God. But sometimes we swing the pendulum to the other side. What I'm going to call religion, and I'll explain why later. And that is that it all depends on me. Fatalism, it's, it's all God. Religion is it's all me. If I do all the right things, something good will happen. If I have enough faith, if I'm holy enough, if I do the right, if I behave well enough, something good will happen. It all depends on me. All those are bad theology. We're going to talk about it more in the weeks to come. Another stronghold that needs to be torn down is what I'm going to call an anti-Christian worldview. Okay, basically is anti-supernaturalism, a scientific worldview. I can explain to you where it comes from, but the bottom line is that the belief is that only what is natural is real. There is no spirit realm. There is no supernatural. It's only what natural is real. It comes from a philosopher named Aristotle who basically said that only what we can know with our senses, what we can see, hear, smell, touch, feel, uh, taste, feel, is real. Everything else isn't real. And that affected much of culture, and science got behind that, and so the idea is that science can explain everything. Now, what we know is it can't. In fact, science are now saying that that whole naturalistic worldview is wrong scientifically. But it affects us. With that, anti-Christian worldview is an anti-value or worth of individuals. In general, there is a Greek philosophical view of the world that basically says you're only valued as you accomplish certain things or if you look a certain way or if you have a certain uh, ability, you're valued. And so there's this comparison that happens and everyone ends up falling short. And it breeds in all of the culture and insecurity. We have the most insecure culture in history. Because everything is comparison. But you add, that's a general, you add more specific. People who face rejection. Rejection from parents. Rejection from peers. Why is bullying so terrible? Because it brings about a rejection that damages us makes us believe things. It builds up strongholds in our thinking about ourselves. No matter how big God is, he can't use me. Because I'm just not good enough. Talking about revelation. We're talking about strongholds that destroy our faith. No matter what my image of God is, if I think that God's not big enough to use me, 
third stronghold that we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead is curses and labels. They become strongholds. People say things to us. We're labeled a certain way. Now, we know that on an individual basis. When parents say to kids, you'll never amount to anything, it has an impact on them. But realize that the devil is in charge of this world. The whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. 1 John 5.19 says, there's labels that the world puts on us. How about millennials? You're a millennial. You're born after a certain day. And then they say, well, millennials won't commit. They're self-centered. They feel like they're entitled. That becomes a label. And if they accept that and believe that, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I can't commit to anything. I'm a millennial. Oh, don't expect me to work. I'm entitled. A whole lot more. And then the last one, for this purpose, is disappointment. Becomes a stronghold. When God doesn't do what we think he should, and we get disappointed. We're going to talk about that in the weeks ahead. Unfortunately, I'm giving you an overview today, so we're not going deep in any of these things. But I want you to know what's coming. So you can decide whether you don't want to come. <laughs> can I say this? There's no vacuum. You can't tear down strongholds and beliefs without replacing them with truth. Without putting an emphasis on the truth and building it up, which is why we started this whole thing way back in January on moving into the glory, the, the value that we have in Jesus, the truth of our identity in him, not what the world says. See, that's what this is all about. So if we're going to tear down the strongholds, have the right revelation about God so that we can have faith when he speaks to us about what he wants to do so we can receive the releasing of the supernatural. Why is that important? I'm going to come back to what I started to say. I'm going to touch on that because I believe that we have a culture that is set up for God to break in because the supernatural cuts through all the arguments. All it takes is God to show himself real to someone to touch someone, to heal someone. And we get to be part of that. We don't have to convince people. It's not about arguing people. Oh, let me, let me convince you about the truth of, of Christianity. Christianity is not a truth as far as a religion or a, or a set of beliefs. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. But if you don't believe that Jesus exists, no argument's going to accomplish anything. I can give you a philosophical argument for the existence of God, for all of it. I can put it all without the Bible, a whole argument, but that doesn't accomplish anything if you haven't actually experienced Jesus. I grew up in a church. I heard all the arguments. I didn't know Jesus. 11 years I was in the church before I met Jesus. 
So we have to build truth, which is why we need the Word and the Spirit, which is where we started on the first week of January. It's also why we're doing a class on biblical theology, knowing God and making Him known, beginning on Wednesdays. Why? Because we're equipping Wednesdays that in March, beginning in March on the 4th. Equipping saints is to give us the right view of God and his word. See, the Bible is God's revelation of himself. It's not just something that some guy's made up. God says, this is what I'm like. How do we know God? He's revealed himself. Basic principle of philosophy is that the lesser can't know the greater unless the greater reveals himself. An ant can't understand what it's like to be a human. Unless a human were to become an ant and explain it in ant terms what it was like. That's exactly what we have. God's revealed himself. And he's done it in Jesus. So we're in for an exciting ride over the next few months. Because the whole purpose of this is to see an increased demonstration of the supernatural. But not just here, in your home, in your school, in your business, amongst your neighbors. Why? Because we're cool? No. (laughs) But because Jesus wants to show them that he's real. And that's all it takes. But it all begins with knowing him. John 17, 3. Jesus said this, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and the Son whom you've sent. Eternal life doesn't come from knowing religious beliefs. Eternal life and abundant life doesn't come from joining a church. Eternal life doesn't come from having all the right, doing all the right things, obeying all the rules following all the religious expectations. Eternal life comes from knowing God through Jesus whom he sent. No other way. Unfortunately, Jesus said something that really upsets people. And he said this, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What do we do with that? Either he was wrong or he was right. If he was wrong, he could be wrong because he was crazy. He could be wrong because he was a liar. But the reality is if he was right, there's only one way to come to God. And that way is still open. Jesus made the way. So I'm going to ask you if you bow your head for a moment. We went a little bit later last week, so we're going to finish up a little bit early this week. That means I can preach longer next week. No.
Sometimes we get busy. Our days get busy. A lot of noise, music and entertainment and decisions. And sometimes it takes a moment. We need a moment just to be still. The Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. If you've met Jesus, you know that that changes everything. If you haven't, you can. It's a big issue for me because I went to church for 11 years before I met Jesus. I learned a lot of good stuff, some good values, met some wonderful people. But I was trying to behave according to religious expectation, which isn't what Jesus expects. See, when we know him, something changes inside. When you know him, worship just flows out. It's not like, oh, I've got to get into this. No, it just happens. Prayer is not a learned behavior. Let me, let me write some prayers so I can know how to pray. No, prayer is just talking to God. When you have a relationship with him, that's natural. I don't have to remind myself to talk to my wife. Sometimes I have to remind myself what to talk to her about because I forget things. I want to remind all of us that what we're about is Jesus and his kingdom. Tyron said that last weekend when he was with us. Our life is in the context of the kingdom. We don't live for ourselves. We live for something bigger. If you've never met Jesus, we'd love to introduce you to him. And we'd love to uh, show you how to turn away from living for yourself and live for him. Wonderful truth is that the Bible says he took our sin upon himself because it's sin that separates us from God. It's our rebellion that separates us. He took it on himself that we could become the righteousness of God. Lord, we're grateful, we're thankful It's a delight to know you, and we want to partner with you to see your kingdom expanded. Lord, we pray for the city that we live in. We pray for people who don't know you, who are not living in the abundance, the peace, the joy, as we shared earlier, of knowing you. Lord, thank you that you've offered us the greatest gift, which is eternal life which is knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen.